Before I introduce our speaker, um, here's the deal. I just thought about this. You know what? If you show up here next Sunday, next Sunday, when? Next Sunday at 10 a.m., are you going to see me here? No. Then we're going to be out at a baptism, out at the Gipes house, at their pond, chairs up on the side of the hill, enjoying the beauty of God's creation, watching a few of our uh, members of our church here being baptized. It is going to be a beautiful thing. Then we're going to enjoy fellowship around the table, eating with one another afterwards. So next Sunday, remember this, okay? We'll remind you and all the fun social media out there and remind you, next Sunday, 10 a.m., make sure you're all at the guy's house. You show up, we'll help you park your car. Don't worry about that, okay? We'll take care of you. Uh, I'm really excited about this morning for a lot of reasons. One, boy, did we get to worship God this morning, really? The song, thanks for leading us, worship team. When we come together at True North on Sundays, it's all about worshiping God. It's all about loving God. And we get the opportunity to do that through song, through prayer, and through his word, and through testimony. And I'm excited about the testimony you're going to hear next. Uh, Coach Les Steckel, um, and we wanted to keep this brief, but I wanted to I just think about this. He was an NFL coach for 20-plus years. He was on the sideline of the Super Bowl calling, you know, making a difference, making, the, you know, the adjustments, calling plays. You know, I'm sitting there going, I don't even know anybody who's ever attended a Super Bowl, okay? You know what I'm saying? I, I know people who watch it on TV. Here's somebody that was there being a di difference maker. And then I'd sit there going, well, wait, wait. Not only that, he has served our nation. Retired Marine. What an honor is, when I think about any, all, the, all of you, many people who have served our country, that's an honor. And then I also thought, well, you know what? He's also the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Something sort of like my boss, I guess. But it's really special that he has all these titles and he's done all these things. But you know what matters to me most is that he loves our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's clear beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's why we've asked him to come this morning uh, to share with you. And so, uh, Coach Les Steckel, please come and share with us. Now, here, here's what speakers say. Boy, it's great to be here. I mean that. Uh, what a great crowd. I had no idea this was going to be the setting, but uh, it's been really a special time to be in Wauseon, and I got the grand tour. I saw the Field of Dreams, and I told um, Rex that my wife and I have moved 12 times, and we lived in many states, uh, one Texas, and everything is big and better and serious, but your feet would challenge anything in Texas. That's awesome what that one person did for this community so that young people, as she passed on, could be able to experience. That's really cool. I come up here and I see these signs, love God, love others. And Rex and I were sharing coming over. He said there's two messages he wants to get out there. <clears throat> One is, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and, and love others. That's what Scripture says. And uh, it's really interesting how this is the game plan, playbook for life, and yet so many people don't read it. Coaching in the NFL for 32 years, I was a coach. I was a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Do we have any Viking fans here? <clears throat> That's why we didn't do real well when I was in Minnesota. 
Uh, without a doubt, uh, coaching in the NFL, you learn that uh, the players got to get their nose game plan book and the playbook, without a doubt. And then spending time in the Marine Corps, it was a SOP, Standard Operational Procedure, and everybody had to know what that meant. Or when you went into battle, as I experienced in Vietnam, you had to know what the operation plan was. This is the greatest guidance for life, as you well know, and yet most times people love to come to church, enjoy singing and praying, but getting in the playbook means something to everyone once you hear God speak to you. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, God doesn't speak to us as, as he used to in the Old Testament and the old way back when. He can talk to you every day right here, right here, and in prayer life as well. You know, uh, I think about Isaac and leaving the team, an all-star, but somehow God always brings in a replacement. Being on an NFL team, we had great players, and sure enough, they went down an injury or their contract ran out, and they went to another team through free agency. God always brings someone else. And I really want you to know I enjoyed the music, and I really got a kick out of hearing you, men and women, sing. I go to a church in Nashville, Tennessee. We have 8,700 members. And uh, I used to teach a class for the men, and I used to say, you guys are a bunch of tough guys. You don't sing at church? What's that all about? And it's you now and see all those guys when they see me in the church, which I'm rarely there. I'm always traveling for FCA. But when I am, I get one of these shots. Because it's so cool to be able to worship God through music, and you guys are doing that. It's also special to see how God puts two people together to really bring forth something. And he's put Dan and Rex together. And I got an email here from one of you uh, about Dan and how he loves to go out and visit with people in the church. And I know Stacy, his wife, knows that. It goes something like this. While Dan was visiting an elderly lady in a hospital, one of the church members, he began talking. And then suddenly the medication weared off and she, she started to fall asleep. And he noticed he wasn't going to leave. He sat there and he started eating this bowl of peanuts. And little by little, he'd eat the peanuts while she was still sitting there, lying there, I should say. And uh, all of a sudden, 10, 15 minutes later, she awoke. And Dan immediately said, I apologize. I saw this bowl of peanuts, and I started eating them, and I I'd ate every one. And she said, oh, that's okay, she said. I have false teeth, and all I can do is really suck off the chocolate. I can't eat the peanuts. So. I don't know who sent that to me, but uh, Dan, really? Did you know that? Holy smokes. <clears throat> you know, uh, I've lived some really exciting uh, days in my life. Yes, I, being a head coach in the NFL with the Vikings and calling plays in two Super Bowls and uh, having some great opportunities. But we all have a story. We all have a story. What's really interesting for me is to have the opportunity as the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which we're getting ready to celebrate our 60th year. In and uh, I have an opportunity to travel all across this country and I have a chance to stop and to look and to listen. And there are a lot of hurting cowboys out there, as I would say. But I know this, 
I heard it earlier when Dan was talking to the young kids about the fall, and fall's here, and this is football fever, and I know I'm in football country, and I know I'm scared to tell you if I cheer for, or because you guys are real close to the border. And uh, so I, I don't want to ever get you upset with me. So I just, I just think that as this season starts, everybody's going to say, who's number one? And of course, people will say Ohio State. Is there any Buckeye fans here? I think I'm in a locker room. Is this a, we're at church. All right, and, and Michigan fans? And they come together to church. Praise God, we have a common bond in Jesus, right? Without a doubt. Well, I had the privilege to talk to the Toledo Rocket football team yesterday, and that was fun. But I have to tell you that as I've traveled the country, uh, you would be amazed at how some people sound when you talk to them about football. The other day, I was in California with my wife walking down a small street, and there was a gentleman easily 85 years old, sitting on a bench, eating his ice cream very slowly, and he had a big red hat on with a big A on it. And I walked by and I said, roll tide. He just kept eating his ice cream. Roll tide. Went right back to his ice cream. Those guys love their football down there. So it could be a... a an interesting season. You know, I've, um, I've seen a lot of things as the president of FCA only because of my exposure to so many communities throughout the country. Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, Los Angeles, Boston, Seattle, Tampa, Fargo, North Dakota, Corpus Christi, Texas, Albuquerque, Charlotte, North Carolina, Denver, Nashville, Tennessee, Wherever I go, I see three things that are really destroying our country. I don't know how you view it, but I, I have to memorize things. So it's the three D. The three D. Number one is drugs. Drugs is killing our country. We're imploding. All those people that are in jail, most of it is all because of drugs. I saw it when I was in Vietnam. The only compliment I got, by the way, as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, I got one compliment. A guy named Peter Uberoff said, Les Steckel was the pioneer of drug enforcement in professional sports. I started the drug enforcement before the NFL did. The NFL has a policy. Major League Baseball still can't make up their mind. Peter Uberoff used to be the commissioner of baseball, and because we started it after a year of me being the head coach in 84, he couldn't get it done. He stepped down. He was so upset. It continues. People are having a hard time meeting things head on. Most people don't like conflict. I have to get involved in conflict all the time as a coach, as a colonel in the Marine Corps, as a leader of a national organization with almost 450 offices around the country. I don't enjoy it either, but you have to make tough decisions. Drugs is destroying our country. The other thing that's destroying our country is driven men. Men are driven to succeed. They want to be prestigious and prominent and popular and have prestige and have possessions. And I see it and it's destroying our country. They're losing sight on why they were placed here on planet Earth. 
And the third thing that's destroying our country is divorce. It's rampant. And unfortunately, in our Christian world, it's happening there as well. Monkey see, monkey do. Mom, mom gets divorced. Well, I'm going to you know, see if this works, and if it doesn't, I can get divorced. Dad does it. I'll follow those footsteps. Fall too far from the tree. It's destroying our country. As I share that with you, I want to share my story. We all have a story. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was born in Northampton, Pennsylvania, small town. Six weeks later, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. My mom's a rebel, and my dad's called a <clears throat> Yankee. And I saw it for nine years. And I'll never forget, moving back to Pennsylvania, didn't have any clue, but you talk about a culture shock, it was a cultural shock. And as I moved back there, I saw what was happening. Most of the dads worked at Bethlehem Steel, cement mills, a blue-collar town. It was quite interesting. Well, when I was in fifth grade, I was called upon to be am I present at the school classroom. You know how they used to go around the room, present, present. And of course I said, present, because I was from Memphis, Tennessee. Because that's the way they talk down there. And the town bully thought, well, we got an easy one here. And sure enough, at playground, recess, he decided to let me be welcomed to the neighborhood. And fortunately, we won the event. Right, and the next thing you know, a young man came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, man, are we glad you're here. He beats all of us up. You'll take care of us, right? And I'm going, Who, what's your name? His name was Jim Wesco. The reason I mention that name is because you can fast forward now. I flunked the physical for the United States Naval Academy. That was my dream. And Jim Wesco, who used to guard me from a rival high school because we moved to another bad neighborhood, and he called me one day and said, Les, it was in the paper that you are not going to the Naval Academy. How'd you like to go to Kansas University? I said, where's that? He said, it's about 2,000 miles away. I said, good, that, I'm, I'm headed there. I end up at Kansas University. My sophomore year, I won a Golden Gloves title as a light heavyweight fighter. That was a pretty big deal in my neighborhood but it was an even bigger deal across the country and in my fraternity. And all of a sudden, this football player of mine, through some set of circumstances, asked me to come to hear a fellow speak. I hope you're listening, because it changed my life. Here's what he said. He said, over here, you're born, you got nothing to do with that. And over here, you're going to die. You have nothing to do with that. Matter of fact, you have no control of your birth. You have no control of your death. Oh, you want to take a gun, stick it in your mouth, and pull the trigger? You call that control? But he said, are you tough enough to relinquish the timeline between your birth and death to Jesus Christ? I, I confessed that the word Jesus Christ I heard in the locker room and I heard in my home because I didn't come from a Christian home. I thought that was a curse word. 
And all of a sudden, he got my full attention because I've been asking, what is the true meaning and purpose of my life? I kept saying to myself, I wonder why I'm alive. What, what does God have in store for me? And so what happened that night, I went back to my fraternity. I didn't immediately accept Christ. I didn't know what I was... It just made sense to me. But finally, this one teammate of mine from East St. Louis, if you've ever been to East St. Louis and you survive, hallelujah, don't ever go there. East St. Louis is a bad neighborhood. This guy was a tough guy. He and I used to get after each other a little bit. And I asked him, I said, Jim, did you accept Jesus? He said, absolutely. I woke him up at 2 in the morning to ask him. I was so, my, my emotions were so high. And a couple of weeks later, I accepted Jesus Christ. Are you listening? As my Savior. As my Savior. I bought in at 19 years old the fire insurance because I did not want anything else. I graduated from college. I joined the Marine Corps the next day. I went to Vietnam with the Marine Corps, and I came back. And the next thing you know, it's two years pass after coming back to the States. It's February 15, 1972. I'm getting honorably discharged from the United States Marine Corps active duty. I got down on my knees in this apartment that I was sharing with other Marine officers, and I looked up, and there's the red curtains my mom made for me, and I'm on my knees, and I said, Lord, I've been a garbage collector for my summer job. You know that. And if you want me to do that, I'll do that. But young people, I was dealing with the biggest question that I saw my three adult kids go through. What am I going to do with my life? I tell people I was more scared and frightened of what God was going to do with me than sitting in an ambush site in Vietnam. I was scared. I have no idea. But I said, Lord, if you want me to be a garbage collector, I'll do just that. Well, one thing led to another as I kept fighting my Marine buddies and my girlfriend, my wife of 39 years, I said, the last thing I'll ever do is be a football coach. Why? Because football coaches, in all my experiences, berated you, belittled you, cursed you, embarrassed you, made, made fun of you in front of the team, singled you out and embarrassed you, and I'm going to be one of those guys. I played football, basketball, baseball, and that's how they coach. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, 50s, 60s, 70s. Not me. I was scared to death. Well, all of a sudden, there I am in the coaching industry. I'm a young coach at the University of Colorado making $150 a month, sleeping on a cot in a garage in Boulder, Colorado with no heat for 18 months. I was back in boot camp again. And I'm going forward now. Watch how this works. I go from Colorado to the United States Naval Academy to the San Francisco 49ers to the Minnesota Vikings in 22 months. I'm guilty. I was a driven man. I was in the far left lane going 110 miles an hour. There's, there's AAA. There's AAA types. You know, you've heard type A's. I'm a AAA. I was in that far left lane, and I didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, as the head coach of the Vikings, I get fired. You know, uh, I mentioned last night at the FCA banquet, they actually did a survey in Minneapolis, and they talked about voting to change the name Vikings to possums. 
and, and, and they actually put it in the paper and, and they started this campaign. And as the season went along, I said to myself, hmm, that's interesting. I said, you know, we play at home. We play dead. We go on the road. We get killed. Why not name them possums? Well, I go to the New England Patriots. A gentleman named Raymond Berry is the head coach. For you that are football fans, Johnny Unitas, famous Hall of Fame receiver, was Raymond Berry. He's the head coach. He's been my spiritual mentor since I've been in my 20s. He now hires me to coordinate an offense, and we have the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl 20. And uh, we played Dub Bears, and we got spanked. And that's okay. But when the season was over, Coach Berry gave me the permission to go visit with Tom Landry. Coach Tom Landry is probably the spearhead of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Tom Landry is a Hall of Fame football coach with the Dallas Cowboys. Probably one of the greatest coaches that ever coached the game. He asked me to meet him in his uh, hotel room in New Orleans where the Super Bowl was played just a few weeks later. We had a private meeting. He was very interested in hiring me. And we're in a hotel room from 8 o'clock until about 11.45. And there's a chalkboard, and we're exiting and Owen, and we're talking about philosophy and leadership and everything. And the gentleman he was, if you can picture him standing on the sidelines for the Cowboys with a coat and tie on and a hat, he's quite famous. The gentleman he was gets up, he says, greets me, says, Les, thank you very much for the evening. And he was walking out, he kept shaking my hand, he said, you know, Les, you need to know this. You're the most aggressive person I've ever met. Well, I didn't take that as a compliment, but initially I did. And as I was walking down the hall of that hotel, I could see a big glass window, and outside that glass window was the Superdome, where we lost the Super Bowl. You're the most aggressive person I ever met. I still didn't get it. At 19, I accepted Christ, but I still didn't get it. Here's a strong Christian man saying that to me. Well, I go back to the Patriots, and we win another game. I think we were 11-5 and that year, and we're getting ready to play the Denver Broncos in the playoffs, and I'm walking down the hall to present the game plan to uh, the team, and Raymond Berry comes up behind me, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, Les, he said, uh, you're a Christian, right? And Yeah, Raymond. He said, uh, do you have any peace in your life? And it was like taking a bayonet and sticking it into my heart. Ugh! Do you have any peace in your life? Ray Raymond, Raymond, I, I, I got to go. I got to put this game plan in. I, I still didn't get it. Well, we go on to play the Broncos. We were having to play our third-string quarterback, and he was a great player. He was a four-year starter at UCLA, and there was a minute and 15 seconds of the game, and I wasn't about to punt. So we went for the first down, not to give the ball back to John Elway, the great quarterback for the Broncos, and I had happened to coach John several years later. But guess what? The ball got tipped, got intercepted, run in, and we lose the game. I can remember being on the elevator, coming down the elevator after the game. The owner grabs me by the arm and says, hey, Les, it's going to be okay. And what do I do foolishly? 
I yank my arm from him. It says, it's not okay. And I thoughts. Raymond called me in a week later and he said, Les, in 1985, the good Lord told me to hire you. This morning he's telling me to fire you. Here's my spiritual mentor, a guy who I looked up to, a guy who mentored me, a guy who showed me, and the only person, folks, I've ever met in my entire life, because I worked with him 16, 18 hours a day, lived moment by moment with the Holy Spirit. Moment by moment. An amazing man. What a great example he was that God put right in front of me. Well, I'm fired. Well, guess what? I try to get a job. I can't. I'm rejected everywhere. Even at Foxborough High School, the head coach and his staff didn't even want me to be a part of their staff. It was a time where God said, okay, you're going down this highway 110 miles an hour, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to slam on the brakes, and you're going to skid to the side. You're barely going to not go over the cliff, but you're hanging on the shoulder of the road. And I want you to do a couple things. One is I want you to look in the rearview mirror and see why the history of your life has taken you to this moment. And by the way, you see those blind spots on your car? You see those mirrors that you use for your blind spots? You've got lots of them. And you need to review it. You need to check it out. You need to see what's going on in your life. And I'm going to take you out of coaching, and I'm going to stick you on a stool, and for 13 months... I'm going to minister to you, and you and I are going to get to know one another. What do, you, what do you call that? I'll tell you what you call it, and very few people have been there. Brokenness. Have you ever been broken? You know the saying, Jesus loves me, this I know? How does this sound? Jesus knows me, this I love. I was broken. I had to get on an elevator shaft and bowels in my soul and clean out all the dirt and yuck that occurred in my life as a young kid growing up in a home that didn't have spirituality, didn't go to church, didn't talk about Jesus, not, know, not knowing him. For you as parents that are leading your family and your children, keep it going. Brokenness? Here, let me paint a picture for you. We had a home in Foxborough, Massachusetts. It was high on a hill. And we would go to this small little Baptist church. I get a kick out of it because I saw a church with less people than this grow really strong. And I'm, I'm convinced this is going to grow strong. But there we were at this small little Baptist church in Foxborough. And I would come home Sunday. We would have dinner with our three small children. And I would go out inside and cut the grass like a fool. And I'm up on the hill cutting the grass, and all of a sudden I can hear the electricity of the stadium. I could see the press box from my front yard where I called plays for championship teams. And I felt the electricity, and I could hear the roar of the crowd and the excitement, and I would still push that little lawnmower. And all of a sudden, I had to shut it off, run up this long driveway, run through the garage, jump up the steps, run past the brick fireplace, turn the corner, leap two and three steps at a time up the room, grab the doorknob on my bedroom, push the little button in to lock it, 
and slide to my knees by the bed. And I would cry, and I would cry, and I would cry. That's a picture of brokenness. Let me give you another. They say about breaking horses. Have, have you ever seen a, a stallion on its hind feet snorting? Huh? Kicking at you? And then all of a sudden, that horse is broken. And you can pull the rein just ever so slightly one way or the other, and it instantly obeys. That's what God has done to me. He has broken me, and I know that the father figure in your life and in my life makes all the difference. December 24th, 1990. We're getting ready to go to sunrise, or excuse me, uh, Christmas Eve service, candlelight service. I tell my three kids to run out to the car. I'm coming down the steps and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, you've got me. You are now not only my Savior, but you're my Lord. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. But Father, I've never been more depressed, more despondent, more down than I've ever been in my entire life. And as I'm walking down the steps, I'm praying out loud this prayer. My wife's in the kitchen, and I greet her. December 24th, it's snowing outside in Foxborough. You can count on it. And I'm putting her coat on. I start to put my coat on, my top coat. It's hanging with one arm, and the phone starts to ring on the wall. Now, when the phone rings and you're an unemployed football coach, you're scared to death. It's a sign of rejection. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I hadn't talked to anybody in 13 months but the Lord. And so I picked up the phone, and here's what I heard at the other end. Les, this is Bill McCartney, founder of Promise Keepers, at the time head coach of the University of Colorado. And he said, we're here at the Orange Bowl getting ready to play Notre Dame for the national championship, Rex. And uh, God put it on my heart this very moment to call you and offer you a job at the University of Colorado. He said, we don't have an opening. I don't even know what position you'll coach. I don't even know what I can pay you. But as I was walking to the staff meeting, God just clearly said to call you and offer you this job. You can't tell me that God didn't hear my prayer and touch the heart of another person. He said, I'll get back to you on Monday. Click. Now let me back up from December 24th to October of 1990. My wife and I had this huge discussion about where we wanted to live and raise our family because I was convinced I'll never coach again. And she came back after going to Dunkin' Donuts Coffee. Anybody from the East Coast know about Dunkin' Donuts Coffee? Huh? They put Starbucks out of business if they wanted to. I said, we had three little ones. I said, why don't you go get some uh, coffee, think about it, reflect pray, and then come back and tell me where you want to raise your kids. I'll go wherever you want if the Lord leads us. She comes back, and she's all excited, and I said, where do you want to, where do you want to live? Now, she's from Southern California. She said, I want to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, what the heck is that all about? 
honey, you said you always wanted to be on an expansion team in the NFL, and they're going to have an expansion team next year, and I thought that'd be great for you. No, 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 no. I I'm done. It's obvious I'm never going to coach again. We've never heard from anybody. No, 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 no. Where, where would you really like to raise your family? She said, well, I really know. Well, then tell me. Well, do you know? I said, yeah. I said, here's the deal. Let's act like we're kids on the playground. One, two, three, shoot. Now, when I say shoot, you better yell it out loud. So we did. We stood there and we went, one, two, three, Boulder, Colorado. Oh, my gosh. We both wanted to go to Boulder in October. Bill McCartney, the head coach at Colorado, in Boulder, Colorado, calls me Christmas Eve. So we get in the car, we drive over to church, we tell our kids to run in, we could see the candles lights from the glass, it was beautiful, save us a seat in the pew, and I turned to my wife, and I said, I call her Preppy, she went to Berkeley, I thought that'd be a good nickname for Preppy. I said, Preppy, what do you think? She said, you know, I think God's telling you to go back to Boulder to start all over, and are you listening? And do it his way. At age 44, I finally got it. At age 19, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. At age 44, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord. There is a world of difference. Now, I have coached many a Monday night game. And I have seen those stadiums after the game, and the parking lots are empty, and I'm walking out to the team bus to go back to the airport to fly back to the team home where I'm from. But there are moments where you walk back into the stadium on a November or December Monday night, and the lights are off. And I always said to people, when I looked in that stadium, it was like my soul prior to 1990. It was cold, it was dark, and it was empty. Just like that stadium. I don't know about you and where you're at, but you may or may not be able to relate to that. But I started my coaching career all over again and did it his way. And God said to me, I want you to always remember one word, and that is, are you listening? Relationships. First it starts with him, inwardly, and then upwardly, and then you can go out. But until you go in and clean out all that yuck in that elevator shaft that I talked about, where I searched and cleaned out all the yuck, the bowels of my soul, so you go inwardly, and then you go upwardly, then you can go outwardly. I've been praying for one person in this room. I don't know who he or she is. Their life would be changed here in just a moment. You can fast forward all the way to Super Bowl 34. Yes, I have a ring on. It's a Super Bowl ring. My wife always tells me to wear it so that the ladies can see it. Normally, I don't wear it. But we ended up losing the Super Bowl in the last play of the game, one yard short. 
I went up to my room. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, you've, you've brought me all the way to here. Why? Why did you allow our team to end up one yard short from winning a world championship? And I stayed on my knees for 20 minutes. And I said, Lord, I'm not moving until I hear. I don't know if you've had these experiences, but I have, where God will speak to you. Audible voice, no. But something way out there that you never thought of enters your mind, and when you ask him to repeat it, it comes again. And here's what I heard 20 minutes later. You listening? Les, your team was one yard short of winning a world championship. Your team was one yard short of crossing the goal line. He said, do you know how many people are out there that are one yard short of passing the eternal goal line? I expect you to go tell them. You see, if you want to pass the interest exam to eternity, it's real simple. It's two words. Jesus Christ. So I leave you with this. And no, football coaches today make millions of dollars. I showed my wife the other day, I've been offered jobs to go back, that I can make more money in three years, almost twice as much money in three years that I made in my 32 years. When someone says to me, we can pay you 1.5, Two and $2.5 million over three years to coach football and we would like for you to join our team as an offensive coordinator. But see, in 1990, I learned one thing. I've relinquished control. And God said, you stay right where I put you. My wife walked off. She, she was so cute. She said, ladies, she said, do you think that's what God wants you to do? I go, no. She says, then why are we talking about this? And she just walks off. That's how I've been blessed with a woman who's been a teammate like that of mine. Here's what I hear my peers say it to me all the time. Les, do you know how much money you can make? Do you know how much fame you can make? You would have another shot at being a head coach. Stand that. And here's what I tell them. You guys are in the winning and losing business on Sunday. I'm in the life and death business every day. I hope you know Jesus Christ in a personal way. I hope that his game plan comes alive for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you because we know you're the God of the galaxy. Lord, we don't get it. We don't comprehend it. And as you know, sometimes as a dumb football coach, I just, uh, I'm a marvel at how great you are, how omnipotent you are, how, Lord, I know you are sovereign. And I just ask now that that one heart, maybe two, maybe more, that I've been praying for that would come to know you in a personal, intimate way. Father, I pray they come to be the courageous individual you call us to do as and be as Christians. To surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And only then 
would they experience the victory that you have for them. And it's in your son, Jesus, we all pray. God's people said...